Side effects are different in the young and old. Today, we'll show you how to choose a mood stabilizer in older adults. Welcome to the Carlette Psychiatry Podcast, keeping psychiatry honest since 2003. I'm Chris Aiken, the Editor-in-Chief of the Carlette Psychiatry Report. And I'm Kelly Newsom, a psychiatric NP and a dedicated reader of every issue. We've broken down the paywall for the 15 most read articles from the past year. They are now free online, and today's podcast is based on number five, Mood Stabilizers for Bipolar Disorder in Older Adults, by Dr. Rehan Aziz. Like all our podcasts, this one is eligible for a touch of CME. Here's a preview of the quiz, which you can find on the Carlat website or through the link in the show notes. One, which side effect of valproate, Depakote, is more common in the elderly? A, pancreatitis. B, hepatotoxicity. C, weight gain. D, elevated ammonia. Lithium is often called the gold standard in bipolar disorder, and it works particularly well in patients with classic bipolar symptoms, euphoric manias or hypomanias that are followed by depressions with full recovery between those episodes, going up and going down as if they're following the law of what comes up must come down. Lithium also has anti-suicide effects, which is not a trivial matter in older adults. White men aged 85 and older have the highest risk of suicide of any population. If you use lithium in older adults, you're in good company. A recent paper surveyed geropsychiatrists around the world and found that 100% endorsed lithium in older adults. Dr. Aziz found further support in a 2017 study that compared lithium to valproic acid, that's Depakote, in 224 older adults with a manic, hypomanic, or mixed episode. Here's what that study found. Both mood stabilizers were equally well tolerated, but lithium reduced manic symptoms more than valproic acid. Lithium is very effective. It's the gold standard, and it has one more benefit for the elderly. Preliminary studies suggest it prevents dementia, even in low doses. Learn more about that in our September 2022 issue online by Dr. Jim Phelps. But if you do use lithium in the elderly, you gotta dose it a little different. Aim for slightly lower serum levels. The brain absorbs more lithium as people get older which means that you can use a lower serum level to get the same level in the brain. Here's the serum levels to look for. For maintenance treatment, that's prevention, and for acute depression, whether it's unipolar or bipolar, the target levels are 0.6 to 0.8 for most adults, 0.4 to 0.8 for ages 60 to 79, and 0.4 to 0.7 
for those over age 80. That is quite a spread, you know, 0.4 to 0.7, quite a range there, which means that you're really going to need to individualize this dose based on the patient's response. And I'll add that if they are having acute mania, you know, those levels I gave are for depression and maintenance. If they are having acute mania, you might need to aim a little higher. Just don't get toxic with it. And here's a subtle tip about lithium in all ages. Toxicity is not defined by the blood level. That's right. You can have lithium toxicity with a blood level of 0.8. Or you could have a 1.2 and have no toxicity. Toxicity is defined by the signs and symptoms suggestive of toxicity. Like all things, it's a clinical diagnosis. The blood level is a guide, but it's not the be-all and end-all. And that's important to know because who's going to get toxicity at a level of 0.8? Well, it's going to be the elderly patients. And just as we do with younger adults, we follow thyroid and renal function on lithium. One difference, though, is with EKG. As people get over age 50, an EKG is going to be more and more indicated on lithium, and you're probably going to want to avoid lithium if they have sick sinus syndrome. What is sick sinus syndrome? It's a slowing of the heart where lithium is relatively contraindicated. Although we otherwise order the same labs as we do in younger and older adults, you just might order the labs more frequently in an older adult, even more frequently if they have drug interactions going on. As with most meds, start slow and go slow with lithium in the elderly. Here's how I'll do it. Like 150 milligrams or 300 milligrams at night for about a week, and then raise by 150 to 300 every week. Once I'm at 600 milligrams at night for five to seven days in an older adults, or 900 milligrams in a younger adults, I'll check the lithium level and check their response. And I did say all at night. That's right. Dosing lithium all at night is one way to help prevent renal damage on lithium. Next is valproic acid, Depakote. This is one of the most commonly used mood stabilizers in late-life mania. But Dr. Aziz's article suggests that practice might need to shift because lithium has a slight efficacy advantage. However, there is one area where valproate tends to work better, rapid cycling, which means they've had at least four episodes of mania or depression in a year. Those of you who are bipolar diehards may have heard that Depakote is also better than lithium in mixed states. That little pearl, though, has since been discredited by a large trial about 10 or 15 years ago. We're going to cover more of that in an upcoming interview with Dr. Gitlin on lithium. For now, just know that it looks like most mood stabilizers simply don't work as well in mixed states. And this don't work as well problem is not limited to lithium. And if you're a podcast diehard, you'll recall from our last episode that mixed states are more common in older patients with mania. Valproate's most common side effects are nausea, sedation, and weight gain. Less common are hair thinning or hair loss. Thrombocytopenia, that's decreased platelet count. 
Parkinsonism, ataxia, hepatotoxicity, and pancreatitis. Those last two, hepatoxicity and pancreatitis, are actually less likely in older age. One that you see more commonly in the elderly, though, is elevated ammonia, NH4, which can be quite insidious, causing sedation, muscle twitching, and confusion. Known as hyperammonemic encephalopathy. If their ammonia is high, you may need to stop valproate. But you can also treat with L-carnitine supplementation and lactulose. Here's how to dose valproate in older adults. You need to go slow because a little increase will jump the levels up more than it will for younger folk. The reason is that older patients have less protein around to bind to the drug, so valproate circulates more freely. Valproate comes in many formulations, but the ER formulation is the one to remember. It is the best tolerated. For outpatients, start with 250 milligrams daily and raise to 500 milligrams daily after one week. That's right, we said daily. The ER formulation actually peaks 12 to 15 hours after taking it, so morning dosing can improve sedation. Morning dosing actually lets you get a more accurate serum level because you can measure the trough right before they take it. Otherwise, they'd have to go to the lab in the evening with the way the ER form is released. Aim for a level of 65 to 90 for active mania. If you need to get a more granular dose, use some Depakote DR, which comes in smaller increments like 125 milligrams. The dosing we gave, raising little by little each week, is for outpatients. You may need to go faster if they're in the hospital or having severe symptoms. Carbamazepine is second line after lithium and valproate because we don't have as much data on carbamazepine's efficacy, particularly over the long term. And there are a lot of drug interactions to worry about in the elderly with this one. Carbamazepine can also cause neurotoxic effects in the elderly, like blurred vision, double vision, nystagmus, confusion, and agitation. In terms of labs, we monitor for changes in blood count on carbamazepine, like agranulocytosis and aplastic anemia. These are very rare in general, but they are seen a little more often in older adults. Okay, now, I've just listed seven problems that are more common in older adults on carbamazepine, and I'm not done yet. There's also hyponatremia, severe allergic rashes, bradycardia, slowing of the heart, and atrioventricular cardiac conduction delays, and urinary retention. All of these show up more in the elderly. That's a long list, and if you're exercising or doing chores while you're listening to this podcast, you might have missed it. That's okay. Just remember this pearl. Carbamazepine has a tricyclic structure. That's right, as in tricyclic antidepressants. It's a wonder that the thing doesn't cause mania, but as far as we know, it does not. The brain is full of wonders. Clearly, carbamazepine doesn't act like a tricyclic antidepressant when it comes to its mood effects, but it does resemble a tricyclic in some of its side effects, and that makes them a little easier to remember. So, cardiac conduction delays, urinary retention, 
and all that anticholinergic stuff like blurry vision and confusion, all anticholinergic stuff we also see on tricyclics. Dosing of carbamazepine is complicated because this medication induces its own metabolism, requiring us to raise the dose after four to six weeks. Check Dr. Raziz's R-Line article for full details on the dosing. Our final mood stabilizer is Lamotrigine, which is different from the others in that it does not treat active mania. Lamotrigine prevents mania a little, but not enough that you'd want to rely on it as monotherapy in bipolar 1. For bipolar 2, lamotrigine is a great monotherapy choice because its main actions are against the depressive pole. Lamotrigine is one of the best tolerated mood stabilizers for young and old alike. The main risk is a severe Stephen Johnson's rash in the first few months on it, and we can lower that risk by raising the dose slowly, sometimes extra slow if they are on meds like valproate that raise lamotrigine levels. Lamotrigine tends to cause vivid dreams, so we dose it in the morning. There are also XR and orally disintegrating versions, which are generic and useful if your patient has nausea or difficulty swallowing the drug. One side effect we see more often in the elderly is word-finding problems. Lamotrigine is an odd one. There's evidence that it can improve cognition, but cognition is also a side effect, and whether it helps or harms seem to depend on the dose. With younger adults, we rarely see cognitive problems in the typical levels used for mood, 100 to 200 milligrams daily. In older adults, we often have to lower the dose into the 50 to 150 range if they have any cognitive slipping. Dr. Aziz's article includes a table with all of the dosing detail for these drugs. His article focused on the traditional mood stabilizers, which we've covered here, and you'll notice that the antipsychotics were left out. Most experts don't classify antipsychotics as mood stabilizers because they don't have well-validated preventative properties. They are better for short-term use in acute mania or depressive episodes, particularly in the elderly, where we worry about long-term risks with long-term use of these drugs, risks like tardive dyskinesia. You know, that's double the rate in the elderly as it is in younger adults not to mention falls, constipation, Parkinsonism, and temperature imbalance, something we're particularly worried about as the heat keeps rising. All of those are more common in older adults. You know, if you do use an antipsychotic, it's hard to say which one is best. All of them have liabilities. For the elderly, I'll usually start with perhaps Cariprazine, Raylar. Why? Well, that one has evidence in both mania and depression, so it covers both poles. And the only other one that can claim to work in both poles is quetiapine, but quetiapine has more side effects, particularly orthostasis and falls. Cariprazine is pretty middle of the road with its side effects. In one meta-analysis, it was the best tolerated of the antipsychotics in bipolar disorder. But if I'm not as worried about depression, I might use aripiprazole, Abilify, for mania in an older adult. This is one of the better tolerated atypicals on average, 
and it does have a lot of studies in the elderly, which gives me some reassurance. I might even use risperidone if other options don't work. Why risperidone? Well, risperidone rises to the top for efficacy in acute mania in some meta-analyses, but it also has a high risk of Parkinsonism and of raising prolactin, which will steer me away from using it first line. This podcast is based on an article by Rihan Aziz from the January 2023 Carlat Gero Psychiatry Report. Dr. Aziz is an associate professor of psychiatry and neurology at Rutgers Robert Wood Johnson Medical School, and he has nothing to disclose related to its contents. To read all 15 of the most popular articles, check the link in the show notes or Google Top 15 Carlite Psychiatry Articles of 2023. They're all free. And if you want to subscribe, take $30 off with the promo code podcast. We'll be back with more greatest hits. Next time, Avulity, a fast-acting antidepressant. Meanwhile, get daily research updates on Dr. Aiken's social media feeds. Search for Chris Aiken MD on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and that new one threads.